Hello, hello, and welcome to So Curious, presented by the Franklin Institute. I am Kirsten Michelle Sills. And I'm the Bull Bay. We are your hosts for this podcast. Today's episode covers something that I'm sure we are all too familiar with, which is stress. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be speaking with stress researcher Dr. Jeremy Jameson to try to figure out how we define stress. And then we'll talk to Dr. Jenna Ryder to learn about how stress and hormones interact. Now, Kirsten, what are you currently stressed out about? I'm always stressed out about writing new material, new jokes. Yeah. Because you write jokes as a comic and then it takes doing them for like a year straight before they actually get good and where they're supposed to be as your like good solid material. I should write new stuff and then I'm like, ugh, it's not even gonna be ready for like a year anyway. Why even do it? What are you stressed about, Bay? Similar things, I would say task management and I'll put a song down and move to another song and then I have to perform. I'm performing later today. In fact, I probably should be rehearsing. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and so I'm kind of stressed out about that, right? Well, I'll be good. Well, maybe if we figure out what stress is, then it'll help us deal with stress, theoretically. Mm. So that's where Dr. Jeremy Jameson comes in. Thank you so much for coming on to the So Curious podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? I am a professor of psychology at the University of Rochester. I study stress and stress regulation. And so I'm very excited to talk about those topics here with you today. 100%. I mean, so the first thing that we need to get out the way, please, please, please describe and define stress. Mm, mm -hmm. What is it? (laughs) So I want to kind of back this up. When people hear the word stress, it carries such loaded meaning in our culture. And so I think a lot of what we're coming from is people coming from equating stress with what distress is to us. I'm a psychophysiologist. I study biological responses to stressors, uh, mostly in the cardiovascular system and endocrine system. And to us, when we say stress, we just mean that you're facing any demand for change. There's something in your environment that needs to be addressed. And that's a stressor. And it elicits stress responses in us. But stress to us isn't this unilateral negative thing, it has this multifaceted component to it. It can be positive, it can be negative, it can be approach-oriented, it can be avoidance-oriented. It's just any demand that we're presented with is stress. Mm. This is mental health this season, but last one was about sex, love, and relationships. Right. You know that quote? It's like a famous one from some judge that's like, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. That's how I've always felt about something like stress. It's like, I don't know, (laughs) I can't explain what stress is. I don't know how to say like, what is going on in me when I'm feeling stressed, but I know I'm stressed, you know? Yeah. Jeremy, let me know if I'm wrong. I was always told that stress is like if something's being asked of you more than what you have. So if you have like three apples and someone's like, hey, I need five, Mm. you start to feel stressed because you don't have five. You only have three. Is that accurate at all? Or is that too basic, too one-on-one? No, babe, that's probably like a really, really good definition for what we call threat. So I come from a model called the biopsychosocial models. It's a really long word. Mm-hmm. If you break it up, it's really just that our biology and our psychology are sort of all intertwined. Okay. Like the way I think about stress, the way I think about do I have resources to address the demands I'm faced with, that plays a direct role in the response I have in my body. Wow. So five apples, I only have three. You're saying the demands are there outweighing your resources. Mm. Okay. Anytime we say that, what we're telling our body is that I can't address the stressor. I don't have sufficient capacity to do this. And so your body's like, okay, cool. I'm going to help keep you alive. All the stress responses we have evolved originally to cope with physical stressors. So being injured, being eaten, these kinds of these <laughs> kinds of responses. So things like cortisol, which is a catabolic hormone, it does a lot of things, but among those functions, it's anti-inflammatory. Like we expect inflammation. 
um, the body tries to like center blood in the core. The expression cold feet, we have less blood flowing to our extremities. So our hands and feet get physically colder. Mm. Wow. Um, so, is that what that means? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like we have like in our brain, that means less oxygen is going to our brain. It's not so great for cognitive performance. But if you were to get injured, most likely that's your arms and your legs. And so you're not going to bleed out. So all the changes that we're having, they're functional. And so the misconception is that the stress response, this threat type response is maladaptive, but it was very adaptive in the context in which we evolved those systems. But there's another kind of stress too. And if you flip it, is that let's say I need three apples worth of resources to here and I have five, I have the resources to address that demand. If I'm presented with some demand that I think I can handle, we tell our body, okay, I can handle this. Body's like, cool. I'm going to then get all the blood to your brain, to your major muscle groups. I'm going to produce anabolic hormones, things like DHEA. That's a stress response. Like being excited, being challenged. Um, these are stress responses, but we don't think of them like that usually. Usually what we just see with stress is like this threat side of the spectrum. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Being excited is a stress response? <laughs> yeah. Your sympathetic nervous system is all sorts of activated online. That was going to be my next question, which is, is there good stress? What you said about cortisol, Bay and I are not doctors. We, not even Far close. from it. Far from <laughs> it. But I know that something like cortisol gets released, like if something physically happened to you, right, to protect your body. So it's functional. We hear like a maladaptive, a stress response. If you like are in physical danger, it's not maladaptive. It could help you survive. That's sort of why we have these systems. Just many of the stresses we face in modern society, they're social stressors. It's about performing poorly. It's about flunking that job interview. It's about not having enough likes on your Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We've done research on that. Where we, we have them do a social media task and we artificially give them more or fewer likes. So there's data backing this. Yeah, there's a lot. Social media is constant evaluation all times. And that's a stressor. That's stressful. Can you talk more about that? That is like really shocking that social media is a distressing space and we spend so much time on there. Yeah, it's interesting. Like me think of what social media really is, it's like a platform to evaluate each other and it's sort of like keep tabs. And I mean, it's great for seeing in touch with people, but also we compare ourselves to other people. People just naturally do this. So uh, Hey Yoon Lee is a collaborator of mine. She was a former student of David Yeager, another of my collaborators, David, wonderful researcher at the University of Texas, uh, Hey Yoon's at Yale in Singapore. And we devised this task where we created like our own social media platform it was very basic. And so we had high school kids basically write a little blurb about themselves, pick a little avatar cartoon that's supposed to represent them. And then they were linked up with other kids in their school, presumably, which they weren't. These were just random people that we created ourselves. And the blurbs talk about what you like, what you do. And then there's a little like button on the bottom of it. And what you do is you click like and you can read through people's posts. You can like other people's. But there's a little ranking system off to the side. And so we can rig it. So we can manipulate it where either you get a lot of likes or you're at the bottom of that list and you get only a few likes. And so the idea is like, it's not about whether you don't get likes, like you're still getting some likes, just not enough compared to what we expect. And so we're seeing ourselves at the bottom of this list. It's like our place, social hierarchy, that's getting dented. And like teenagers really care about that. And it was something that we found like really striking effects, especially for kids who were reporting being victimized at school already. And so people who are at the most risk were having the most detrimental effects as well. Correct me if I'm assuming too much, but talking about adolescents and teens, people are in the middle of their development, right? Their brains, mm. the hormones, puberty, the whole bit. How does stress come into play? So transition times are very inherently stressful because I'm going from high school to college or I'm going from middle school to high school. 
It's a new environment. There's new friends. Like I don't have my same peer group. Teenagers are sort of hardwired to care a lot about social hierarchies. Um, this goes back to like our primate roots is that the time when like you move up and down these hierarchies is during adolescence. And if you're at the top of those hierarchies, you get all the good stuff when you're in those primate groups. The constant demands of seeking out evaluations of other people and comparing them to you, that's demanding. That is a stressor in and of itself. And so these teens who are sort of working through a lot of these changes, they're doing so in an environment that you're already elevating like base demands sort of higher than what you would see in typical adulthood. How do we relate to other people's stress? Like if I am not stressed and someone's next to me, mm. you know, can their stress trigger my own and why might people respond differently to similar situations or different situations of stress? Yeah, that's a great question. There's been some interesting work on what we're calling interpersonal emotion regulation. So interpersonal ER, we're really talking about like how we change emotion processes. So a lot of my other work, in addition to studying basic stress responses is we develop tools to regulate stress, help people regulate their own stress response. And a lot of those are based on motion regulation um, process models. So from James Gross and a lot of his collaborators. But with the contagion process, we've known for quite some time that if people are stressed, other people pick up on it. Mm. We call it linkage because it's sort of, I, now I'm vigilant for what you're doing. So normally I wouldn't pay attention to this, but then all of a sudden you guys are acting weird. It's like, why? Mm. <laughs> so that why is weird, like, bro. <laughs> yeah, I need to like I need to figure this out. And like, is this something that could be harmful towards me, or is this something that could be detrimental to this interaction? Pure contagion-wise, we did some work with Chris Ovius, who's at the University of California, San Diego. And in that study, what we did is we had two people come in in a collaborative game. So they were supposed to like develop a product idea. So idea for like the new bicycle system on a campus is what we were doing. Before they do this task, we have them in separate rooms. One person gets a lot of instruction about how to interpret their stress response when they're delivering these pitches to people. So they knew they were going to have to pitch this idea to evaluators. Whoever won the pitch competition got like $200. But during the time when they were apart, one of the persons we were instructing them that you're going to have the stress response. And this is something that is not you want to get rid of. This is helping you. Like stress is fuel. Like this is going to help you deliver a better pitch. It's going to help you be more engaged. Um, the heart's pumping hard, more blood's getting to your brain. That's really good. And so we were kind of going through all the benefits of what stress can be. And so rather than being like stressed about being stressed and trying to like get rid of it and damp it down, people like leaned into their stress response and used it as formative fuel. We've done those a few times in tasks where we can have them see stress as this uh, useful adaptive tool. But the interesting thing was that they showed a better physiological response during this pitch period when they were presenting the idea, but their partners did too. Their partners weren't told anything about stress. They were given no regulations instructions whatsoever, but they showed more adaptive physiological responses to the pitch just by interacting with somebody who was thinking about stress in this, this positive way. And some follow-up analyses we figured out was happening was it was when the person who was viewing stress as adaptive they're presenting visually more positive affect. People picked up on that. And so they were in the stressful context, they showed this positive affect and that instilled a, a positive sort of stress response in their partners. It's pretty cool because we can see, maybe you can see benefits of these regulatory tools in people who aren't even the targets of the, the tools themselves. Yeah, mm, so basically like if I'm hearing you correctly, yes to stress being contagious and also yes to calmness being contagious, right? Do you think if people looked at stress differently as a whole that it would improve our mental health or do you think to a certain extent like we need the level of stress that we have? 
Can I say both? Yeah. <laughs> so part of this is that stress to me and stress researchers, it's normative. So we can't innovate. We can't sort of push our boundaries and learn new things. That's stressful, inherently <laughs> stressful. We can't avoid those in our lives if we ever want to sort of push forward and actually do things. And so sometimes it can be uncomfortable. And I think some of this advice about getting used to being comfortable with being uncomfortable can be actually very helpful. And so sometimes we do need to take on these difficult challenges, these difficult stressors. And if we view our bodies there as a sort of as our ally, it's there to help us. It's, it's a resource for us. Like we have these stress responses for a reason and we can optimize those in ways we need to. But it's really important that we don't always do that. Like there are stressors that are inherently very negative, like things like trauma, living in an uncertain environment that may be dangerous. Like that's not like you can't reinterpret your stress there to sort of use it as fuel to push forward because that's a different kind of stressor. It's like we can have the right tools in our toolbox, but knowing when to pull out the right tool to regulate stress in a certain way is important. Bay and I are both performers. Bay's a musician. I'm a stand-up comic. Oh, cool. And so I have noticed so much the longer I do stand-up professionally. Some shows, I go in way too comfortable, and I don't do well because I go up there like, this isn't like a high-stakes show, whatever. They already booked me. And that's when I do my worst work because I'm like, no, you need to be a little nervous. I'm consistently nervous and has stage fright every time I step on the stage. Oh, and word. after some time, I thought it would just melt away. But I kind of understood like, oh, I'm always going to have this. And as you said, I kind of lean into it and it gives me a lot of adrenaline. You're working to the professions that are stress regulation things work the best on people like that <laughs> because that intuitive knowledge that you need to have some degree of activation to do well, because that means you care. That's what that is. The Eastman School of Music here at the University of Rochester, that's a sort of a really well-known music school. I had students come to me and we're talking about, well, there's a problem with beta blockers. So beta blockers were sort of, they prevent cortisol from binding to beta 2, beta receptors. So it's blocking the physiological responses that we're having with stress. So we can take these things so we don't have the physiological stress response. We have all the psychological things going on mm. that's still negative. <laughs> but the feedback that they were getting in their performance reviews, so in like their final exams or like literally performances, was that the music sounded flat. So it sounded like you weren't engaged with it because wow. you basically took a medication to block your body's response to stress. Wow. So I, I found that fascinating. No, me too. Me too. There's adrenaline really does like affect you physically. Yeah. Like you're, you're almost like leaping out of your skin and you kind of need that punch of energy to, you know, hit that note. Light to, a fire yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. To do that thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is amazing. Thank you so much for joining so us. Awesome. But do you have any final thoughts that you want people, our listeners to take away from your work, what you're doing? Yeah. I think just keep an open mind about what stress can be. Like some stress certainly can be harmful for us. Too much of it can sort of wear us out and burn us out. But being mindful about sometimes it's normative and we do need to engage with difficult things. And that doesn't mean that you can't handle it. Your body's response sometimes is there to help you. I think if like people thought stress could be helpful and none of my stress regulation research would be meaningful because it would already mm. work. <laughs> so we didn't need to tell anybody anything. It'd be great. If like, I, I would love it if, if none of my research mattered anymore. If people yeah. just saw stress as something that could be beneficial for them. No, yeah. but your research does matter. And mm -hmm. we want to say thank you so much for coming on the So Curious podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Hey, Bay. What's up? Do you ever wonder whether this planet is even going to exist in 30 years? Mm, I do. Mm -hmm. It can be overwhelming to think about how to deal with some of the biggest problems we're facing. Our friends over at the Franklin Institute talked to some of the sharpest minds working in science and technology, though, and I gotta say, 
I think 2050 is going to be pretty cool. So check out The Road to 2050, a new docuseries from the Franklin Institute at fi.edu. So essentially, if I got this, it's that stress is sometimes a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things where we look at stress and other mental states as like negatives or in a negative Mm -hmm. light. But really, it's like, oh, yeah, we are just biological animals and creatures that just kind of respond to our environment. So it doesn't always mean it's a negative thing. You could be excited and getting ready and getting prepared and planning and all these different things. And a lot of those things are stress motivated. Okay, well, then let's find out more about what goes on in the body when we're stressed. We are going to be joined right now by Dr. Jenna Ryder. Jenna, welcome to the show. Dr. Ryder, can you introduce yourself and tell us what it is you do? Sure. I'm an assistant professor of psychology at Thomas Jefferson University in the College of Humanities and Sciences. So I teach some classes about research methods and health psychology And my research is focused on stress. That includes both normative stress, like stress that all of us experience from time to time, and also more extreme stress, like traumatic stress. Your work focuses on the stress system and how it works, like you said, for trauma-exposed or chronically stressed people. In your research, in your line of work, how is stress defined? Yeah, so the way I define stress is as a reaction that we have to something that we perceive as threatening or negative. And that reaction has different dimensions. There's the cognitive aspect, like what we think, such as I feel stressed or I can't handle this. There's the emotional component. There's a behavioral component, like maybe you check your inbox again and again, or you avoid something that you find stressful. And then Finally, there's the physiological dimension, and that's what happens in our bodies. What is stress or what are stress systems? Can you define stress systems for us? Sure. So there's actually two main stress systems that act in a coordinated fashion. The first system is something that responds almost immediately as soon as we encounter a stressor, and that's the sympathetic nervous system. You might have also heard of this system referred to as the fight or flight response. And so this is something you feel in your body, but the response starts in the brain through increased signaling of a chemical called norepinephrine. That leads to changes in the periphery, and those are the sensations you feel, like increased heart rate, maybe your breathing becomes more shallow and also more rapid, and greater blood flow is distributed to the muscles, especially in your lower limbs, all of which is helping you deal with what your body presumes is an emergency situation. Then the second system that responds as well, that one is a little bit slower, but it's a more sustained response. And that's the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. We can call it HPA axis. That's the one that produces cortisol. You mentioned that it happens and it starts in the brain. Is there a way to control that at the moment of feeling that stress? Or should we just kind of develop a better relationship with it? Listen to that and Mm -hmm. go with it. How would you describe for better mental health listening to that response system? Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple stages at which you can act. I would say like that very initial reaction in the brain, like that almost knee-jerk response, you kind of can't control. But you can change the way you're thinking about the situation in the moment, and that could quickly shut activity in the stress systems down. For example, you could like reframe your perspective of the situation, like thinking about something in a way that is either positive instead of negative, or simply less negative. Now, your research focuses on 
stress and how it interacts with the body. And I was saying right before we got on the mic that, like, you know, basketball players have, like, large calves because they jump and they run mm. and, and, and they shoot the ball constantly. Is there a way that stress, like, physically shapes and forms the human body? Like, if you have chronic stress. Yeah, am I going to hunch over all the time if I'm stressed out? If I'm mm. just going to, like, or my, my shoulder's going to lock up? I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. how does stress interact with the body? Yeah, so it can show up in these different ways and really it affects so many different organ systems. For example, stress can negatively impact immune function. As you said, it can impact your physiology. That kind of posture that you're describing, I mean, I think some of it is kind of set up by the way we work, like looking at a screen or sitting at a desk, and it kind of is like a natural way that you kind of orient. But you're right, it, it also happens in response to stress. And that kind of response additionally impacts your breathing. It's harder to take like a full diaphragmatic engage in belly breathing when your body is oriented in that way. To the best of your ability, if you can recognize that and try to counter it, then you also will protect yourself against, say, that impact on breathing. Talk yeah. to us about the research into this hormone that I'm going to butcher in just a second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it estradiol? Estradiol. Estradiol. Yes, enough. I said that. Fill us in. <laughs> estradiol is the most prominent estrogen that's present during the reproductive years. And like other steroid sex hormones, it's produced by something called the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, which probably sounds just like the other axis I mentioned before. It has a lot of the elements in common. Um, and it's for that reason that there is a lot of overlap between the kind of system that produces stress hormones and the system that relates to estradiol levels. So how can estradiol impact someone who is exposed to extreme stress? I mean, I imagine it makes it significantly more impactful. Is that correct? Estradiol can impact cognition and mood really for anyone. And there are regular fluctuations in estradiol that happen in people who are menstruating. And those little changes in estradiol can relate to changes in how people feel. And for somebody who has symptoms of a clinical condition, it can affect their vulnerability for symptoms. So my work was focused on women who were trauma exposed, and we found that fluctuations in their estradiol levels were related to fluctuations in the stress-related symptoms they were having. Wow. And so I'm glad you brought up the connection of menstrual cycles and stress, right? Because myself growing up, that's always something you hear of like, oh, it's possible your period is late because you're stressed or, you know, it's something people say a lot. And I've never been sure how much of that is just like an old kind of rumor or how much of that is actually based in science. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's kind of like describing the other direction, like the way stress can impact estradiol mm. or like the reproductive system. You're right. It can be tied to, for example, missed or late menstrual periods in girls who are like around puberty age, really severe early life stress can actually hasten the onset of puberty. And it can also be tied to things like fertility problems. Definitely a lot of connections. Hmm. Right, but going back to that hormone, uh, was it estradiol? Mm -hmm. Is this like a new discovery? How much do we know about this? Is this like, no, we've been talking about this for decades, but like, tell us more about that. Yeah, so I mean, people have known about the hormone and they know how it's related to reproductive system function. I think a lot of the work that specifically ties it to clinical symptoms is somewhat newer. 
That's really kind of true for both studies with humans and studies using animal models. So with like rodent models, they have something called the estrus cycle, which is like the analog to the menstrual cycle. And for years, a lot of aspects of stress system function were specifically studied only in male rodents to control for variation or confounds created by the estrus cycle. So as a result, we don't know as much about the effects of the estrous cycle because that's what people were trying to control for. In humans, you know, there is like a growing body of literature that connects it to, again, these aspects of like cognition and mood and potentially clinical symptoms. But for PTSD, at least, historically, most of the work has been with men. And that's simply because a lot of early PTSD research was about combat-related trauma, which was mm. predominantly men. Yeah. And tying in the theme of season three, mental health, mm -hmm. you talked about reframing as an approach to kind of like manage stressors. Are there any other things that you can advise us on in terms of managing stressors as they relate to like, you know, stuff happening in our body? Yeah, so I think some good strategies for coping with stress. The one I told you about so far, it's basically like you change your mindset and you let that lead to a change in physiology. But it can be hard to adopt like that positive mindset when you're really stressed. <laughs> Just change your mind. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, yeah. So like other things you can do are more, you kind of target the physiology directly and that can lead to a change in the way you're feeling. So for example, you can do breathing exercises. We know that when we're stressed, we tend to breathe in a more rapid and more shallow fashion. So you just do the opposite. You take really deep, mindful breaths where you're kind of breathing in fully, breathing with your diaphragm. And especially helpful for breathing techniques is a focus on lengthening the exhales. You also can engage in exercise. And I think everybody knows that exercise is good for stress. But the reason is not always obvious. One of the reasons that exercise is so good for stress is when you're confronted with a stressor, your body responds in such a way that it prepares you to react in a physical manner. Your heart rate is increased, your breathing changes, you have a lot of blood flow going to your muscles, especially in like your limbs, like uh, your legs in particular. And all of that is really gonna help you if you need to say, escape from a burning building. But most of us, when we're really stressed out and our bodies are primed in this way, we do absolutely nothing with that energy. Like we sit in our seat and we ruminate. So exercise instead is like, let's let your body kind of complete what it prepared for. Any last thoughts that you want to share with the listeners about stress, hormones, your work? Oh, sure. So, I mean, I think there's two misconceptions about stress that are important to dispel. The first one being this idea that stress is just all in your head. So it's not really important. And if you're a strong person, it shouldn't impact you. And that's totally not true. Like the effects of stress, it affects many aspects of physiology and the effects are tangible. And you can't just suppress your response. That doesn't work at all. In fact, it's been linked with more negative health outcomes. And the kind of other misconception is essentially like the opposite end of the spectrum, this like fatalistic notion that stress is just going to wreak havoc on our bodies and there's nothing we can do about it. There are many coping strategies that work for different people. It's really just important to be able to kind of look at the strategies you're currently using, 
figure out if they're working and if they're not to be kind of open-minded and flexible enough to try something new. Oh my gosh. Dr. Jenna Ryder, thank you so much for coming on the So Curious podcast. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the work you do. We love it. Thanks so much again for having me. It was great being here. Thank you again to Dr. Ryder for coming on the podcast. All right, we talked plenty about stress today. So Kirsten, yeah. <laughs> what do you like to do to de-stress? I never even thought about that. Go to bed. I love being in bed. <laughs> I love sleeping because it's like a little mini coma yeah. with intention. Yeah, I think for <laughs> me, it's definitely the comic book store. Ooh, um, I didn't know that about you. Yeah, but you know, it's one of those things I don't even make a lot of like purchases. You just kind of walk through and yeah. it's busy enough to distract you from anything. And I kind of, as an adult, rediscovered, you know, it's kind of weird to say, but baths. No, baths are, yeah. Right. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so true. That's like the stereotypical. I've been showering for years. Like an idiot. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe it. Awesome. Well, then be sure to join us next week and look at how technology can affect our mental health for better or for worse. Technology is really evolving as part of treatment and therapy. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode of the So Curious podcast. You're not going to want to miss Come on. an episode. This podcast is made in partnership with Radio Kismet. Radio Kismet is Philadelphia's premier podcast production studio. This podcast is produced by Amy Carson and Emily Cherish of Radio Kismet. This podcast is also produced by Joy Montefusco, Jayatri Das, and Aaron Armstrong of the Franklin Institute. Head of operations is Christopher Plant. Our assistant producer is Seneca White. Our mix engineer is Justin Berger, and our audio editor is Lauren DeLuca. Our graphic designer is Emma Seeger. I'm the Bull Bay. And I'm Kirsten Michelle Sills. See you next week. <laughs>